We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 313 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, May 12th, 2022, and sadly, it is not a victory Thursday for our Capitals. This is not the victory Thursday that we were hoping for. The Capitals on Wednesday night blew it. They choked. They gacked. Let's just call it like it was. A killer of a loss for the Caps. Game five in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Series tied at two. The Caps were up. They were leading at the Florida Panthers. Three nothing in the second period. The Caps then allowed the Panthers to win the rest of the game. Five nothing. A 5-3 loss to go down in the series three games to two. I wish that we had better Caps news to get into on this show. Sadly, we do not. The Caps in their 3-2 overtime loss to the Panthers at Capital One Arena on Monday night blew a late third period 2-1 lead. The Caps on Wednesday night blew a 3-0 second period lead. Not good. Uh, My thoughts on the game and on the state of the series are coming up in a bit. But hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Nice to have you with us. Before we lament this loss for the Cavs, I do have a special guest on the show to talk Commanders. Uh, Commanders insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. Uh, J.P. is great, as so many of you know. You're going to hear a lengthy conversation in which we cover a lot of topics, uh, including whether the commanders have gotten better this offseason, how JP feels now about the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz, what truly the contract extension for Scott Turner was about, Uh, JP's thoughts on Jack Del Rio's recent comments on a defensive back or multiple defensive backs, no-showing at least some of last year's offseason program, Uh, JP's take on what's going on between the commanders and Deron Payne, JP's outlook on the Terry McLaurin situation. Uh, JP on where the commanders had Jahan Dotson on their draft board for the 2022 NFL draft and more. Like I said, we will cover a lot of ground. Uh, We will not cover Sam Howell having never eaten a steak 
Did you see that on Wednesday? That became a big deal on Twitter on Wednesday. Sam Howell, per The Athletic, has admitted that the only meat that he eats is chicken and that he has never eaten a steak. Uh, He has never tried a burger or a steak and won't eat seafood. He orders chicken tenders at steakhouses and brings his own tenders to team dinners. He likes his chicken nuggets, I guess. Uh, Speaking of the Terry McLaurin contract situation, by the way, uh, did you see what NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB had in a mailbag column that came out on Wednesday? So Breer got asked about the commanders potentially signing Terry to a contract extension this offseason, and Breer wrote, quote, the contract right now is nowhere. Negotiations haven't really started, end quote. Uh, okay. You know, I have not been among those preaching panic with the Terry McLaurin contract situation, and I'm not about to start preaching panic now. I think that the time to start panicking would be if an extension isn't done by the start of Commander's training camp, and we're still more than two months away from that. But in this NFL offseason in which receivers are getting paid like never before, and other big money receiver contract extensions have already gotten done. I got to tell you, it didn't feel great on Wednesday to read that. At least according to Breer, quote, the contract right now is nowhere. Negotiations haven't really started, end quote. Uh, All right. You know, all righty then. (laughs) As Jim Carrey said in the movie Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, all righty then. All righty then. <laughs> yes, all righty then. Negotiations haven't really started. Uh, all righty then. We shall see. Also on the show, I'll discuss an oh-so-rare home win for the Nationals. Uh, they on Wednesday night improved to 4-12 and 12 at Nationals Park this season with an 8-3 win. Over the New York Mets, Uh, a good game, but a strange game for the Nats offensively, I'll explain. Uh, We also, in the game, had Juan Soto and Nelson Cruz each homering. That was good. I'll talk Orioles as well. Uh, Their Wednesday night was about as good as the Caps Wednesday night. A 10-1 loss for the O's at the St. Louis Cardinals. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Gerald in Spain. Writes Gerald, took the wife up to a five-star in central Spain for a weekend spa getaway. While the wife was doing whatever it is people do in a spa, I was in the bar having some well-deserved cervezas and listening to the Carson pod, number 309. Really enjoyed it. Uh, Well, thank you for that, Gerald. Yes, Last Friday's show, episode 309, I talked about why I'm feeling better about the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz. You know, this podcast is known to have the same effects on a person as a spot treatment, just so you know. Uh, Now, also on episode 309 was me talking about the commanders reinstituting a marching band and also a fight song. Uh, And so we got this email from Matthew Grayson, writes Matthew, I love the show and think getting the band back together is a good thing. Hearing some of our fan comments has me thinking, why would our commanders only have one song and not multiple to choose from? 
I think the classic song with updated to the Commanders wouldn't be the worst thing ever. I also like the idea of a DC-flavored Go-Go version. That would be cool. Uh, thank you for the email, Matthew. Uh, I do think that Go-Go would be a great way to, wait for it, go. Uh, I also think that Go-Go would lessen the, like, mockability of the new fight song. You know, so many things about the Commanders right now are easy to mock. A new fight song that just replaces Hail to the Redskins with Hail to the Commanders and alters some of the lyrics but has the exact same music would get mocked and probably would get mocked a lot. And people still probably would just sing Hail to the Redskins anyway. Some sort of a go-go adaptation of Hail to the Redskins, but with Hail to the Commanders as the title and as the main portion of the lyrics, I think could work, okay? I mean, nothing's guaranteed with this rebrand, okay? Like, people take the things in all kinds of ways, but I do think that a go-go adaptation of Hail to the Redskins, but as Hail to the Commanders, could work. Now, by the way, with this episode of the Al Galdi podcast being for Thursday, May 12th, and being that I on radio for years did do go-go Thursday, uh, I would like to play something for you. This is the Redskins marching band years ago at FedEx Field playing some go-go. This is great. I used to play this song on the radio. This song was performed with a bunch of fans surrounding the band. Take a listen. I mean, how great was that? Well, I thought that that was great, okay? But that is the kind of thing, to me, that Commanders fans would take to, okay? Like, the new fight song doesn't have to be that exact song that I just played for you, but the idea of that song, you know, a high-energy go-go song that contains remnants of Hail to the Redskins in some way. You can never go wrong with go-go. Uh, just like you can never go wrong with HelloFresh. And I'm going to tell you about HelloFresh right now, and then we'll get to my conversation with J.P. Finley.
Well, it is hard to remember a time in which grocery shopping was as unappealing as it is right now, right? Prices at stores are ridiculous due to inflation. Just driving to the store is costly because of the cost of gas. And you're super busy. I mean, who even has time to go food shopping, let alone to think about what to make on a daily basis? And so all of this is why you should try HelloFresh. HelloFresh is great. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your home and at an affordable price. And not only do the ingredients come pre-portioned so that you're not overbuying or wasting food, but it's easier than ever to get filling meals on your kitchen table quickly with options like family-friendly and quick and easy recipes. Stop wasting your time worrying about when you're going to buy food and what you're going to buy and what you should make and what the kids will eat and how much the food will cost and try HelloFresh. Uh, we've tried HelloFresh and we love it. Uh, we have had sweet chili pork and cabbage stir fry, Monterey Jack unfried chicken, hub style shepherd's pie, saucy pork burrito bowls, Italian chicken, Southwest beef with pasta. The meals are fun, creative, healthy, and delicious. And the ultimate endorsement is this my four year old son eats HelloFresh. And trust me, he is a picky eater. Him deeming something worthy of being eaten is like, you know, the white smoke coming out of the Vatican when a new pope is elected. He eats HelloFresh. He loves it. You will too. Uh, Also, HelloFresh will work with you. You can pick your favorite meals from 50 different weekly options. You can customize meals. You can skip weeks when needed. You can change your delivery date all on the HelloFresh app. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Yeah, this is a great deal. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time. HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. As is always the case, I appreciate you listening to the Al Galdi podcast. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you have never written a review of the podcast, please consider doing that. You can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. The review doesn't have to be long. can be just like a sentence or two saying uh, that you like the podcast. The ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful, and I thank you for doing them. So as the Commander's 2022 offseason continues, and we're deep into free agency and now past the NFL draft, but also not yet at the OTA practice portion of the offseason. I'm having on the podcast a variety of guests to discuss the state of the Commanders. And so I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Commanders insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. He is the host of the Washington Football Talk podcast. He is the co-host of B. Mitch and Finley on 106.7 The Fan. You can follow JP on Twitter at JP Finley NBCS. Hey, JP, how are you? Uh, doing well, Al. It's funny, man. I, uh, I've been listening. I, I've always listened to your podcast. I listen more and more now. I'm trying to do your routine of getting up early and, and getting in the gym. And I, I just feel like nobody doesn't as all-encompassing of DC sports as good of a job as you do, man. 
Well, thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate that. Uh, it's good to have you back on the podcast. I always enjoy talking with you. Uh, first time that we've chatted this offseason. Uh, when it comes to this commander's offseason as a whole, do you believe that the team has improved from last season to what the team will be this coming season? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think about this offensively. Last year was Taylor Heineke, Terry McLaurin, DeAndre Carter, Adam Humphreys. This year, that should be Carson Wentz, Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel. I mean, to me, that, that's pretty significant. Um, I think there's real defensive questions that I don't know have been answered. But uh, I, I think offensively, they should be pretty dramatically improved. I think, I mean, if you look at the receipt, the, the running backs group, you had. You had Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jared Patterson. And then McKissick was hurt, you know, the last five, six games. And maybe it wasn't that many, maybe like three or four. Um, I mean, how different does that look, adding Brian Robinson? And then I think Cole Turner helps him right away um, in, a, in a role where you had some version of uh, Tameric Hemingway and, and Samus Reyes proved not ready for the big lights at least. Um, so I, I, I think it's undeniable on paper they got better um there's obviously questions with old Carson though and and it's funny because as much as they did not go with like a boom or bust draft they really played it safe in the draft I think the boom or bust move is is investing in Carson Wentz and it's it's pretty significant boom or bust potential man Yeah, there's no doubt. In so many ways, the commander's trade for Carson Wentz is the commander's offseason. And if the trade works out, then we look back upon this offseason as having been a good one. And if the trade doesn't work out, then we look back upon this offseason in a much more negative way. 100%. Yeah. Uh, So more than two months have passed since the commanders agreed with the Indianapolis Colts on the trade for Carson Wentz. Would you say that you today feel better than, worse than, or the same as you felt when the news of the trade first broke? Um, I still think I'm pretty much the same because, like, uh, like the John Dotson pick, for example, um, I really liked the trade back. That's what I was advocating for. I actually kind of laid out my dream scenario was to trade back with the Saints to 16 and to take Traylon Burks. So that opportunity was there, obviously, and they took a different wideout than, than the one I liked. Um, but getting to know Dotson and talking to people around the league and, and really talking to their people who are really, really high on him on and off record um, and I had heard that week how much they liked him, but I thought that was like a trade back to 22 kind of scenario, frankly. Um, but getting to know Dotson, talking to a lot of people about him, watching him practice, like, man, I, I like that pick a lot more. Whereas the Wentz thing, every time I feel like I hear or see something good, I'll hear or see something the opposite and so i just don't know i I think my initial reaction on that one is kind of where i'm going to stick to until i see something different um and it's my initial reaction is pretty reluctant i I think 
I do think there's some level of like people are are blaming this guy too much and like I don't know if you saw the lock and forth thing where he did like his quarterback tears and kind of he put Wentz in the bottom category that was just something like something super dismissive I think I think it was like the good luck category <laughs> um but then again it's like and I know people think JLC has an anti-skins bias I don't buy it but I know that plenty of our our mutual listeners probably believe that um I, like I think it is kind of good luck with Carson Wentz because is it weird that you know Ballard and those guys keep dragging him yes but is there a reason they keep doing it? Yes. Like, I, I just think, I, I, from a pure talent on the field perspective, he is the best QB here probably since Kirk. Maybe maybe better than Kirk, honestly. Um, but two teams have moved heaven and earth to get rid of this guy in the last two years. And, and that just gives me tremendous pause. Yeah, it's impossible to ignore that. I mean, I think we all want to be optimistic, but there are certain things about this situation that are impossible not to be thinking about. Ron Rivera is talking and acting like he believes that the Commanders got their franchise quarterback in Carson Wentz. And of course, we understand why Ron is talking and acting like that. Uh, That said, do you think that Ron genuinely believes that he got a franchise quarterback in Wentz? I think he believes he got the best option that would make themselves available. Um, I, I, I do believe that. But I think, um, I think, I, I think if, if you ever got truth serum in those guys, what would really bug them is that Matt Ryan became available, you know, two weeks later. Wow. And, and you could pay less for Ryan. At least, I've kind of been advocating for Ryan like two years ago when just looking at the contract structure and what was happening in Atlanta. Um, you know, obviously it didn't happen until the flirtation with Deshaun Watson. And there's a million layers to all that. But uh, I, I, I'm not as anti the Wentz move from a, like people get caught up in the compensation. That compensation is nothing if you get a good quarterback. Right. That is nothing. It's yeah. nothing to worry about. But, um, to me, if he was really their franchise guy, truly, you rework the deal and you spread the money out and you're able to spend more money in free agency this year. And they, they, they actively chose not to do that. I asked Mark Mayhew in Florida if there was any consideration about moving some money in that deal. And he looked at me like I had three heads. And, and that, to me, is kind of all I need to know about the level. Like My joke has been, they're getting married, but there's a big prenup here. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Plenty of marriages last with prenups, I'm sure. I don't have one, but uh, I also don't have any money. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't blame the commanders one bit for not touching that Carson Wentz contract. You need that out in case things go awry this coming season. I think it was the right move. But yeah. It just shows... It shows that they're going into this eyes wide open, even if they're not going to publicly admit that. Yeah, totally. Uh, We're talking with Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. I want to get your take on something that I feel like hasn't gotten enough attention this offseason, this contract extension for Scott Turner. Uh, The news that the Commanders were trading for Carson Wentz broke on March 9th. You and others broke the news of the Scott Turner extension 
on March 13th. Was Scott being extended so soon after the trade for Wentz just a coincidence? And I guess what I'm getting at is, what was the thinking behind the commanders extending Scott Turner? Uh, The Turner extension was done at the combine. So it was done kind of before we were able to nail it down and report it. Um, So it was done before the Wentz move was finalized. I would I mean, I, I'm not looking at a calendar. I'm paying $80 to fill up my desk. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm confident that it was done before the trade was done. Now, it, it wouldn't be a shock if one thing kind of went hand in hand with the other. I, I think the Turner move was really more about, I don't know the dollars involved, but if I had to guess, Scott was relatively underpaid for an NFL offensive coordinator. Because if you think about when he got that job, dude, like, it was him and Kevin O'Connell. There probably wasn't a tremendous market for Scott as an offensive coordinator at that point. And so it was probably, all right, we'll give you two years. So I I think that was more about kind of taking care of his guy than it was anything Wentz related. Okay. And, and, And honestly... I don't. I know there's like split opinions on Scott, but if you got to pick a coordinator in DC that you're not happy with, to me, it's not Scott Turner at all. Um, especially if you look at the improvements in their run game and stuff. Uh, I, I mean, I think this year will be big for Scott because he's got a quarterback and he, there's some offensive weapons at receiver. But I mean, their run game jumped up like 15 spots last year. And their defense fell back 25 spots last year. So, I don't know. It, it, as an observer, I, I, people, people get caught up in play calling all the time. But I, I got way more concerns about that defense than I do the offense. Well, I was just going to ask you, do you find it telling that the commanders this offseason have extended Scott Turner but not Jack Del Rio? Or was Jack's contractual situation different than Scott's? Oh, I bet Jack had a had a fat boy contract to start with. Yeah. It's not about. I, I can't imagine. Like, I, I think I think the extension was way more about what Scott was earning compared to his to compared to his position across the league than it was about any specific move. I think I imagine Jack's doing pretty damn well. Okay. So no, I, I don't think I don't see any smoke there in, in that situation. With Jack Del Rio, I don't know if you heard Jack's recent conversation with Julie Donaldson on the Commander's website, but Jack was in rare form. He said a lot, and among the things that he said was that a player or multiple players in the secondary not attending OTAs last offseason hurt the defense and was part of why the defense struggled last season. And Jack brought this up unsolicited, and he brought this up multiple times. And he wasn't talking about Chase Young or Montez Sweat. Jack clearly was talking about a person or multiple people in the secondary. Now, we know that OTAs can mean OTA practices and also just OTA workouts, weightlifting sessions, meetings, etc. But do you have any idea who Jack was talking about? I don't. I mean, I could go back and look. I hadn't heard that because I had kind of focused on the Jamin Davis comments, but um, I don't know who somebody missed OTAs. Now, the tough part is everybody thinks OTAs are what we see, right? but the media is only out there one day 
out of like one day a week over the course of three weeks. So we see three practices over the course of nine practices. And the first, I, the first two parts of OTAs, I believe we're not even out there, like the weightlifting portions. And then like the second portion where they're allowed to do a little bit of on field work. Like the media is not even there for that. So it's, um, it's kind of interesting that it's entirely possible somebody could be missing OTAs on non-media days and we'd have no idea. Now, I mean, there's lots of things that get reported when the media's that the media learns later, but no, I, I wouldn't know that. I, I would wonder if, I mean, just thinking through this last year, OTAs were probably pretty strict in COVID protocols. Um, and I believe, you know, all signs point to Kendall Fuller never having been vaccinated. Um, I, I don't. I have no idea if that could have made an impact, um, considering the protocols. I, I, dude, when did they sign Bobby McCain? Not until May. Right. I mean, he wasn't at OTAs. Yeah. At least the first portion, the first two sessions, because he wasn't even on the team. Um, you know, like, I, I think he could mean that OTAs were disjointed because we didn't have everybody, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it was dysfunctional. Like it doesn't mean that somebody was holding out or choosing not to go. Like, I don't remember was Landon because a lot of those guys weren't vaccinated early. And then Ron really put some pressure on them. And I think a lot of, I wouldn't be surprised if like, 10, 12 of their guys didn't get vaccinated until like August. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it. I, uh, I'm trying to run through my head at like the rest of those DBs because it's kind of interesting. Um, but I, I couldn't tell you specifically. Yeah, I thought that Jack Del Rio was maybe talking about William Jackson the third, who during his season-ending Zoom press conference the day after Washington's 2021 season ended, said that he in the 2021 season was, quote, doing things that I never had done before, end quote. So I thought that maybe what Jack said to Julie Donaldson was a response to what Jackson said months ago. But I don't know, man. It just seemed odd because here you have Jack Del Rio. He never likes to say anything in press conferences and interviews. And he volunteers all of this stuff, brings it up multiple times, does this in an in-house interview for the team's website. It just was odd. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And dude, the William Jackson stuff, I mean, we could see it on the field last year, right? He was just super out of place. If you think about the first six weeks of the year, how disjointed and, and Honestly, terrible. That secondary was playing. I, I mean, something was wrong, and perhaps it was OTAs. I, I'd argue. I mean, the reluctance, whether it was the staff or the player, but keeping Landon Collins on the back end. If 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 William Jackson's doing stuff that he doesn't, he's never done, and it's what they're asking them to do. Like somebody messed up between. You know, you remember how much we used to hear between Bruce and Jay about how they got to bring in players that fit our scheme or they got to scheme up players that are good. Oh yeah. Like it's kind of the same thing. Sometimes it's remarkable how similar some of this stuff sounds. And if you brought in William Jackson to do X and he does Y, like somebody made a dramatic error. 
Yeah, I mean, we went through the exact same thing with Josh Norman, you know, square peg, round hole. Are we doing this all over again with a big money corner? Totally, yeah. totally. All right, much more with J.P. Finley in moments. J.P. is one of the best when it comes to talking commanders. What J.P. is to talking commanders, that's what Paulson and Nace is to Washington, D.C. law firms. Paulson and Nace is a... Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. If you or someone you love is dealing with injury through no fault of your own or his or her own, call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses whose practices or products are directly related to the root of your injury. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families in the future. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace, if you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yes, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. All right, we get back to J.P. Findlay. So, JP, you brought up Jack Del Rio's comments on Jamin Davis, Jack conceding that Jamin did not have a good rookie season, but also saying that Jamin put forth like 30 flash plays. Um, Look, I don't want to give up on Jamin Davis, okay? He had a bad rookie season. That doesn't mean that he's a total lost cause. That said, it was a really bad rookie season, and it was quite disturbing that late in the season, David Mayo was playing more than Jamin Davis was. What do you think is a realistic outlook for Jamin Davis right now? Man, that's a great question. Um, they really needed to be significantly better than last year or they're in some trouble. I, I found Jack's comment about that. The 30 flash plays thing? Um, like when he said, you know, if you go back and look at our 30 best plays or whatever, you'd see Jamin flying. Like, really? I, 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 um, I don't know about that one, man. I, I think, I, I think again, similar to William Jackson, they drafted a kid that does X and asked him to play Y, and it took them a while to realize he couldn't do X and was actually quite bad at it. And you, you got to let him play to his strengths this year and hope he shows out. And that that thing will move quick if. You know, drafting a linebacker in the first round, you can argue, is is not exactly 
a ton of position value. If a kid comes in and he's great, look at there, there, there are great players that, that change that. Um, he hasn't been, and, and they're going to need to see something, I, I think, this year. And, and maybe that'll happen. I, I do think I do think there's really something to the drafting of Fidari and Mathis that, you know, people are upset about losing Ioannidis and settle, and rightfully so to some extent. But they want space eaters. They want D tackles that will allow fast, quick linebackers to make plays. And that's who Mathis is. And that's not who Ioannidis was at all. And and the the book on settle is so short right now, like the sample size is so short. I don't think that's who he is either. Like both those guys are pass rushing interior defensive linemen. They're not run stuffers. And I, I think maybe that will help Davis. I, I really, I think that'll definitely help Holcomb, but I, I don't know. It's almost laughable to me that we can get to the first weekend of May. So we're two months into a new league year. So free agency has been open almost eight weeks. And it's the week after the draft. And then Rod says, yeah, we can really use some help in linebackers. Like, <laughs> what have you been doing? Like, and and I get you signed up. We just talked about it. They signed Bobby McCain in May last year. There are veterans available, and I've always thought that was kind of the move there. But it's just like, I don't buy the Holcomb as their mic at all. I think that's just kind of what they're saying right now. Um if, if he could play the mic, why didn't you put him there last year when you were clearly struggling? I do think as a fan base, we get a little too caught up maybe in some of the positional things when so many sub packages. I mean, they're probably playing their base four three with a pure mic backer, like maybe 45% of snaps, probably closer to 40 or even 35. Yeah. So it's not the end of the world. If they just sign some veteran, um, to, to talk about it, yeah, it's time to address it. Like, what time has it been? Yeah, my assumption has been that the commanders don't view Mike Linebacker as the pressing need that so many others do. But to your point, if the commanders do view Linebacker as a need, then why hasn't the team done more at the position? Uh, Deron Payne, what do you think is going on with Deron Payne? Uh, commanders insider Ben Standing of The Athletic reported that the team is expected to not even offer Payne a contract extension this offseason. Now we have the commanders having taken an interior defensive lineman in the second round of the 2022 NFL draft in Federian Mathis. It seems that the commanders are down on Deron Payne. I know that he's not a great player. I think at times he is a bit overrated by people, but he is a good player. He's not a bad player. Uh, are the commanders, in fact, down on Deron Payne? I don't know that they're down on him as much as they were up on John Allen. And you just can't afford to pay both those guys. It's just kind of the reality. Um, I mean, when they signed John at 18 a year, I, I didn't think signing Payne would happen then. And, you know, they'll, of course, say, like, oh, yeah, we can do this. And I just didn't buy it. Um, I think they think John is a, is a little bit better than Duran, And I think most people would agree. Um, and I think, you know, I think they probably fielded and placed some calls around the draft about moving to Ron. But this is a team that has to win, man. They have to win this year. And Deron Payne on the field for a season versus getting a fourth. I mean, Payne just has way more value on your team than the fourth round pick does. And so 
I, I, like, I can kind of understand this one. And then whatever contract he signs next year, I, they'll get a compensatory for it the following year. Now, you can argue that they should have been more proactive and tried to move him earlier or maybe try to move him two years ago. And, and all those are valid arguments. Um, I don't think they were ever really considering that. But I think, uh, like, all these moves are built towards winning 10 games this season. Yeah. And the pain stuff doesn't shock me. Um, I, I mean, the, the only... It's tough because you're comparing you're like kind of going across regimes here, but it's just bizarre how there's still some similarities between the old regime and the new regime. And you can go back as far as Kirk, but you can go back the amount of people they've let just play out a contract and eventually walk and get the comp pick for rather than maximizing an asset. Like how much does that concern you with this Terry stuff? You know, I, I think they'll get a Terry deal done. Is Terry a $25 million a year receiver? I, about to find out. Uh, it, it's, uh, I, I was listening to Cooley on Machine. I don't know if you listen to that, but he talked about Dotson as a receiver that defense coordinators have to change game plans for. And that Terry necessarily isn't that receiver. And I, I think there's a lot of bracketing on Terry and all those sorts of things. But like, if there becomes a viable deep threat opposite him, I think we'll find out, you know, is Terry somebody that, I, I don't know, considering the history and considering we're now getting to crunch time, I mean, Goldie, by the next time you and I talk, Terry will probably have missed OTAs. And, and that's, it's totally out of character for him. That's not something he would normally do, but he feels he's forced into a position. And I don't like this thing's about to become much more real than I think people realize. I remain hopeful that the commanders are going to sign Terry McLaurin to a contract extension this offseason. And I actually think that they will sign McLaurin to a contract extension this offseason. But there's no doubt if for whatever reason, the commanders are not extending McLaurin this offseason then they do need to be serious about potentially trading him, okay? Like, it really is one extreme or the other. You either extend the guy or you trade the guy. When you have an asset like Terry McLaurin, you can't lose him for pennies on the dollar. I remain confident they're going to get a Terry deal done. Some of this is like John Allen last summer. I, I think you have the full backing of ownership. I think there's a business office that represents the need to keep this guy there and the staff loves him right like you have you have everything you need this is just a business negotiation and it'll probably go right up until training camp just like Johnson yeah I think that that is a very realistic way for this thing to play out and you know I think with Terry McLaurin too like is he an elite receiver is he top five in the NFL no but I don't think it's nuts to say that he's top 10 especially when you consider the production that he's put forth despite this merry-go-round of quarterbacks with which he's played over his three NFL seasons. Like, I always love it when people try to compare Terry McLaurin to the top receivers in the NFL. I'm like, okay, fine. Maybe he's not as gifted as those guys, but look at the quarterbacks those guys are playing with, and then look at who Terry McLaurin has been playing with, and then factor in 
that Terry McLaurin has like zero diva factor. I mean, so many of those other guys would have been whining and complaining and asking to be traded over the last few years. We've had none of that with Terry McLaurin. Totally. One more for you. Uh, I heard the interview that you did with Jahan Dodson. Uh, Awesome job. Very well done. Given that the commanders in the 2022 draft could have just stayed at 11 and taken Chris Olave or Jamison Williams, but didn't, and instead traded down to 16 and took Dodson, do you think that it's accurate to say that the commanders had Dodson higher on their draft board than the team had Olave and Williams? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what the final draft board looked like. But I know, like 100% know, that some staff members and some scouts had him number two behind Drake London. And and I knew that going in. Like, that's not post-draft spin hyping a guy up. I don't know what the final board looked like. And, and frankly, I think it'd be a little crazy if, if they had him number two ahead of, to me, Jameson Williams at least. Um, I, I do know that like with the Ohio State guys, there's some question, not to like drag our alma mater or something, but like those guys are so good in the Big Ten and they're playing some terrible team. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and they've got two of them. Yeah. And so, it, it, like that Ohio State, I mean, hell, just look at the odds to win the Big Ten. It's crazy how favored they are. Um, and then if you look at what Dotson did with, uh, arguably a subpar quarterback, same conference, you know, kind of the only weapon there. It's uh, it's a different beast. But um, I, I know a co- I know at least a couple folks did, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the final board looked like. Okay. J.P. Finley, Commander's Insider, NBC Sports Washington, does an excellent job covering the team, talking about the team, writing about the team. Uh, thanks so much for your time, man, and all the best to you. Appreciate your stuff, man. Thanks. All right. Great to catch up with J.P. Finley. Up next, the Capitals. Uh, They were not so great in Game 5. Give you my thoughts on the Caps' nightmare of a loss on Wednesday night, blowing a 3-0 second-period lead in a 5-3 loss at the Florida Panthers to go down three games to two in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, if you've been a Capitals fan for a while, you know about the Caps' history of blowing two-game series leads in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, That is one of the worst single things about Caps' history, the frequency with which the team has blown two-game leads in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Caps, in their ongoing series with the Florida Panthers in the first round of the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs, have never been up by two games. but. The Caps in Wednesday night's Game 5 were up in the game 3-0. And yet the Caps lost. Blown series leads we are used to as Caps fans. Blown three goal leads in oh-so-crucial Game 5s in series tied at two. Uh, not so much. A brutal loss for the Caps on Wednesday night. A 5-3 loss at the Panthers. The Caps now trail in the series three games to two. This off having led in the series two games to one. The Caps will face elimination on Friday night. Game six at Capital One Arena Friday night at 730. Uh, I, on Wednesday's show, episode 312, talked about the importance of game five in this series. Entering this year's Stanley Cup playoffs, Teams that won Game 5s in best-of-seven Stanley Cup playoff series tied at two had an all-time series record of 219 and 58. That works out to a winning percentage of 791. History, my friends, is not on the Caps' side when it comes to winning this series now. Uh, the Caps now are staring at being eliminated in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs for a fourth consecutive year since winning the Stanley Cup in 2018. Now look, the series is not over, okay? I'm not giving up. I'm not tapping out. But let's be honest, the series is starting to feel uh, like it'd be over. Uh, How about the Panthers, by the way? You know, the Caps don't exactly have the most glowing Stanley Cup playoff history, but the Caps, of course, at least have won a Stanley Cup, right? Uh, The Panthers, with their win on Wednesday night, took their first lead in a series in the Stanley Cup playoffs since April 2012. Yeah, the Panthers had not led in a Stanley Cup playoff series since April 2012. The Panthers have not won a series in the Stanley Cup playoffs since 1996, when the Panthers got swept by the Colorado Avalanche in the Stanley Cup final. But the Panthers' postseason history is putrid, and yet the Panthers could be ending 
their oh-so-lengthy Stanley Cup playoff drought in terms of not having won a series in the Stanley Cup playoffs since 1996 at the expense of the Caps. Uh, The Caps' loss in Game 5 was painful, okay? I mean, there's just no getting around this. The Caps blew a 3-0 second period lead. The Panthers scored the game's final five goals. All five of the goals were even strength goals. Uh, Ilya Samsonov on Wednesday night was the Caps' starting goaltender for a third consecutive game in this series. He stopped just 33 of the 38 shots on goal that he faced. Now, let me make this clear. Not all of what happened on Wednesday night was on Samsonov. Uh, The play around him wasn't close to being good enough. So to put this choke job of a loss all on Samsonov is not fair. That said, Samsonov certainly didn't steal many saves in the game, okay? He certainly did not stand on his head in the game. You know, sometimes, yes, a goaltender is failed by those around him. But even when a goaltender is failed by those around him, he is allowed to make saves that he's, quote unquote, not supposed to make. Uh, Ilya Samsonov didn't do a lot of that. Didn't do enough of that, certainly, on Wednesday night. Samsonov, per natural stat trick, stopped just nine of the 13 high danger shots on goal that he faced. He, per natural stat trick, did stop all 12 of the medium danger shots on goal that he faced and stopped all 10 of the low danger shots on goal that he faced. Let's take a look at the five goals that Samsonov gave up in game five. Uh, Goal number one, Carter Verhage. Get used to hearing that name. Even strength goal, 650 into the second period. Verhage scored on a wrister as he was skating near the right goalpost with Samsonov all the way near the left goalpost off a shot by Alexander Barkov from the left point that went wide of the net and off the end boards. Uh, Verhage got behind defenseman Justin Schultz. Goal number two allowed by Ilya Samsonov. Patrick Hornquist, even strength goal, 12-27 into the second period. Hornquist abused Samsonov on a one-on-none breakaway. Goal number three allowed by Ilya Samsonov. Sam Reinhardt, even strength goal, 14-41 into the second period. Reinhardt scored off a scrum that featured six players bunched in tight around Samsonov. Five of the players were caps, and the Panthers player wasn't Reinhardt. He, like, came out of nowhere to score the goal. He scored by putting in the puck off being behind the left post. He snuck in there, got his stick on the puck, poked the puck in the net, and got the goal. Uh, goal number four allowed by Ilya Samsonov. Carter Verhage, even strength goal, 304 into the third period. Verhage generated a takeaway from defenseman Dmitry Orlov in the camp's offensive zone. Got the puck to Alexander Barkov, sped by Nicholas Backstrom in the Caps defensive zone, and then scored on a breakaway wrister in the low slot. And then goal number five allowed by Ilya Samsonov. Claude Giroux, even strength goal, 15-55 into the third period. Giroux abused Samsonov on a two-on-one breakaway. So I wouldn't say that Samsonov on Wednesday night allowed any soft goals, all right? Samsonov did not give up any softies. But like I said, he didn't steal many saves. He could have risen to the occasion. He could have been great. And he wasn't great. But also, like I said, this choke job by the Caps on Wednesday night was not all on Ilya Samsonov. And going through the specifics of the five goals that Samsonov gave up, you hear that there were things happening around him that should not have been happening, okay? But those things did happen. And Samsonov was put in a number of tough spots He did not do enough in those spots, but he shouldn't have been put in all of those tough spots to begin with. Caps head coach Peter Laviolette 
during his post-game press conference late night on Wednesday night made it clear that this game was far from just about Ilya Samsonov. There's there's things that we did to put ourselves in a position to be up 3 nothing in the game, and that's the type of game that we have to play. And then this was Peter Laviolette later in his press conference late night on Wednesday night. There's there's two games that were played. There was the game to push it to 3 nothing, where I liked everything we did, including the power play, the penalty kill, and the 5-on-5 five five play. And then there's a game that took place after that where if you play against a team like Florida that is a high octane team, you're you know, we're just we're feeding them and we can't. And so um we've got to get back to the, the first part of that game and you've got to play it consistently for sixty minutes. Yes, you do. Uh, the Caps on Wednesday night lost the puck possession battle. Uh, Caps per natural stat trick had just 38 five-on-five shot attempts to the Panthers' 54, although each team had 13 high-danger five-on-five shot attempts. There is an element to the puck possession battle of the Caps being content with losing the battle, but in their mind, winning the war by not getting outdone big time on high-danger shot attempts. And so that was in play, at least to an extent, on Wednesday night. But still, I mean, in this series, the Caps are getting walloped by the Panthers in overall five-on-five shot attempts. The shots on goal disparity on Wednesday night wasn't that bad. Uh, The Caps finished with 33 shots on goal to the Panthers, 38. Uh, Here's something funny, and by funny, I mean maddening. The Caps continued to dominate this series from a special team standpoint. The Caps on Wednesday night, three for three on the penalty kill, So the Caps now in this series are 16 for 16 on the penalty kill. You know, the Caps could lose this series in six games without having ever given up a power play goal in this series. And the Caps on Wednesday night did score another power play goal. The Caps went one for three on the power play. So the Caps in this series now are six for 20 on the power play. Uh, TJ Oshie on Wednesday night, two goals. He had a power play goal, 7.09 into the first period. And he added an even strand goal, 3.38 into the second period. Uh, Oshie also had a team high tying five shots on goal. Uh, Alex Ovechkin on Wednesday night, secondary assist, four shots on goal, and four hits. So what kind of a series is Ovechkin having? Well, he over the five games has a goal in five assists. To sit here and say that he's having a bad series isn't fair. Uh, There are things beyond the goal in five assists that he has done. He has generated shots on goal. He has generated shot attempts. He has generated hits. But if you want to say, well, there's more that Ovi could be doing, I hear you on that. I mean, he has one goal over the first five games. Carter Verhage just on Wednesday night had two goals and three assists. Carter Verhage on Wednesday night had a five-point night. This Friday night is a huge spot for Alex Ovechkin and the rest of the Caps. I mean, it's not all on Ovechkin, and I don't think that he's having a bad series, but that doesn't mean that he can't be doing more, right? That doesn't mean that he can't be the superstar that we know him to be and have, say, a multi-goal game at some point in this series. He hasn't done that, okay? Like I said, one goal over the first five games in this series. Uh, The Caps on Wednesday night did out-hit the Panthers 48-35, but the Caps remain without their most imposing physical presence. Uh, Tom Wilson on Wednesday night did not play again, missed a fourth consecutive game due to a lower body injury that he suffered in the Caps 4-2 win at the Panthers in Game 1 on May 3rd. Uh, Look, the Caps are in a tough spot here, okay? The Caps are going to have to win 
over the Panthers at Capital One Arena on Friday night and then win at the Panthers on Sunday, okay? This is not easy, all right? The Panthers, remember, are the President's Trophy winning team for the 2021-2022 NHL regular season. The Panthers in the regular season had an NHL leading 122 points and You know, the Caps right now, they seem to be capable of doing well for portions of games, but the Caps are not doing well for entire 60 minutes of games. That's as clear as can be. And so the Caps have gone from being up 2-1 in the series to now down 3-2 in the series. And the Caps season could end on Friday night. We shall see. Game six for the Caps against the Panthers at Capital One Arena, Friday night at 7.30. Well, on Wednesday's show, episode 312, when talking about the Nationals' 4-2 loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park on Tuesday night, referenced that that game dropped the Nats to being 0-14 this season in games in which the Nats committed at least one error. 0-14, that really stands out, right? Well, the Nats on Wednesday night committed another error, uh, this in a three-run first inning for the Mets. The writing seemed on the wall. Uh, the Nats were down 3 nothing after the top of the first. The Nats had committed an error, okay? So 0-14 loomed large, but then the bottom of the first inning happened. And then the bottom of the second inning happened. And the Nats ended up winning the game, an 8-3 win over the Mets at Nationals Park in Game 2 of a three-game series. And so the Nats this season now are one and 14 in games in which the Nats committed at least one error. So Nats manager Davey Martinez can, yes, be proud of the boys. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey, proud of the boys. Davey Martinez's boys won on Wednesday night. Uh, The Nats this season now are 11 and 21 overall, including 4 and 12 at home. Yeah, Wednesday night's win was just the Nats' fourth win in 16 home games this season. Uh, what a strange game for the Nats offensively on Wednesday night. The Nats for the game totaled eight runs, 10 hits, and four walks. You like those totals, but all eight of the runs and nine of the 10 hits happened over the first two innings. Uh, the Nats scored five runs in the bottom of the first and three runs in the bottom of the second. And then that was like basically it for the Nats' offense on Wednesday night. But the Nats wrecked the Mets starting pitcher, Ty McGill. You know, McGill came into this game with an ERA of 243 over six starts this season, but the Nats pounded McGill on Wednesday night. McGill in the game, eight runs in one and a third innings. Uh, Two of the Nats' big boys homered on Wednesday night, talking about Juan Soto and Nelson Cruz. Uh, Soto as the Nats' starting right fielder and number two batter, one for four, with a two-run homer and a walk. Uh, Soto, in that Nats five-run first, had a two-run homer to right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 3-2. The homer winner projected 411 feet per stat cast. Now, this was Soto's seventh homer this season, but this was his first homer this season. That was not a solo homer. Uh, Soto needed that homer. He came into the game having gone just three of 17 with three singles and one walk over his previous four games. And then Soto drew a walk in this game. Bottom of the six, he drew a one-out four-pitch walk. Uh, Speaking of needing to homer, Nelson Cruz needed his homer on Wednesday night. Cruz on Wednesday night as an ad-starting DH and number four batter, one for three with a three-run homer and a walk. Uh, Cruz in that Nats 
three-run second, had a one-out three-run homer on a bomb to left center field for an 8-3 Nats lead. That homer went and projected 436 feet per stat cast. Uh, that was Cruz's fourth homer of the season, but that was your vintage Nelson Cruz home run. He has not had a good season so far. You hope that that homer and some of what else he has done recently is getting him going here. Uh, Cruz in the bottom of the fourth drew a leadoff five-pitch walk. It is imperative for the Nats that Nelson Cruz gets going this season. Not so that the Nats can contend, but so that the Nats can trade Nelson Cruz and get back a prospect or prospects for Nelson Cruz, okay? He is a potential, very valuable trade ship for the Nats, but the way that he has been hitting has really made him a non-trade ship for the Nats. I mean, he had been that bad Hopefully now he's getting better. But here was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Nelson Cruz. Yeah, but he's staying through the baseball a lot better. You know, he's staying behind the ball. He's getting ready early, all those things. I mean, when he starts hitting the ball the other way, I know, you know, for him, you know, watching him for so many years, I know he's, he's, he's just, it's just a matter of time before he clicks. And um, he did that today. He's not chasing as much as well, which is which is awesome. So he's get, he's getting right, that, that only tells me he's getting ready earlier, and he's starting to see the ball a little bit deeper. Um, that, that ball even hit to right field, just caught it a little bit uh, deeper than than he wanted to, but he still hit it well. Yeah, really would like to see Nelson Cruz get going here. Cruz now this season batting average of just 174 on base percentage of 266, slugging percentage of 284. Got to get those numbers up. Uh, also on Wednesday night for the Nats, Cesar Hernandez got on base four times. He has it at starting second baseman and number one batter, three for four with three singles and a walk. Uh, Hernandez in the Nats five run first had a leadoff single to right field despite having been down to the count at 1.02. Hernandez in the Nats three-run second had a leadoff opposite field single to left center field. So Hernandez was the true igniter in each of those two big innings for the Nats on Wednesday night. Uh, Hernandez in the bottom of the third had a one-out full count single to right field. And Hernandez in the bottom of the eighth drew a walk, uh, just his sixth walk of the season so far. But he drew a two-out eight-pitch walk despite having been down to the count at one point. Oh, two. He doesn't draw many walks. He's not hitting for power, but he is getting a lot of hits. Uh, he is racking up the singles. And Cesar Hernandez on Wednesday night, three singles to go with a walk. Uh, Cape Ruiz on Wednesday night as an at starting catcher and number six batter, two for four with an RBI single and another single. He and the Nats five run first had a win out game tying RBI single to right field to tie the game at three. Also had a stolen base. Uh, Ruiz in the bottom of the second had a win out first pitch single through the right side of the infield. Uh, a lot of Nats got in on the act on Wednesday night. Yadiel Hernandez as an at starting left fielder and number five batter, one for three with a double and a walk. Uh, Yadiel in that Nats five run first had a one out double to the right center field gap. Uh, Yadiel in the bottom of the second drew a one out five pitch walk. Uh, Josh Bell as an at starting first baseman and number three batter went one for three with a single a hit by pitch and two strikeouts. He in the Nats five run first drew the hit by pitch, uh, Bell in the Nats three-run second, had a one-out first pitch, a bouncing single through the right side of the infield. Even D. Strange Gordon got in on the act. Uh, Alcides Escobar on Wednesday night did not play for a second consecutive game as he is dealing with a hand-slash-finger issue. And so D. Strange Gordon was an ad starting shortstop and number eight batter. He went one for four with an RBI single. Uh, Strange Gordon in the Nats five-run first had a two-out RBI single to shallow left center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 5-3 Nats lead. Uh, the Nats starting pitcher on Wednesday night 
was Aaron Sanchez. Uh, now, he got off to a really bad start, but then settled down and actually ended up uh, pitching quite well. Uh, so Sanchez for the game, three runs in five and a third innings. He gave up six hits, a homer, a double, and four singles. He issued no walks. He recorded just one strikeout, but he again threw a lot of strikes. Uh, Sanchez on Wednesday night, 51 strikes versus 24 balls over 75 pitches. Uh, now, Sanchez gave up the three runs that he gave up in the game in the top of the first, but then retired 15 of the next 17 batters he faced. Uh, Sanchez gave up all three of the runs that he allowed in that top of the first. He gave up a leadoff opposite field double to Brandon Nimmo through the left side of the Nats infield on a shift, despite Nimmo having been down to the count at one point, one, two. And then the Nats left fielder, Yadiel Hernandez, in getting the baseball, dropped the baseball out of his glove. Uh, Sanchez gave up a first pitch bunt single to Starling Marte, on which third baseman Michael Franco committed a throwing error. Uh, Brandon Nimmo scored on the play to give the Mets a one nothing lead. And then came the big blow. Sanchez gave up a one-out, two-run homer to Pete Alonso to left field for a 3 nothing Mets lead. But Sanchez then retired 15 of the next 17 batters he faced before leaving the game after getting struck by a one-out first pitch line drive off the bat of Pete Alonso in the top of the six. Here was Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night on Aaron Sanchez. Hey, after the first inning, um, Aaron Sanchez settled down, uh, made some really good pitches, uh, was very effective using all his pitches. Um, his curveball was really good tonight, changeup was good, but um, he, he kept the ball down for the most part and pitched really well. How much of a bummer then is it that he has to come out for that reason when he is cruising third time third, he seems like he's doing pretty well? Yeah, it, it, man, it's stuck. I'm just, I'm glad he, he got x-rays, he came back negative, I'm glad he's okay, he's just got a a little uh, bone bruise, so he'll be, you know, he'll be ready to go in five days. But um, he got pretty sore, so you know, I had to get him out and make sure he's okay. Yeah, good to hear that Aaron Sanchez is okay. But I tell you, Aaron Sanchez is throwing strikes. I mean, he has not been some dominant starting pitcher for the Nats, and he very clearly is a reclamation project. And truth be told, he's basically pitching for the Nats just to buy time until someone like a Cade Cavalli is ready to be called up. But the Nats on April 23rd selected the contract of Sanchez from AAA Rochester. He had his Nats major league regular season debut in a 5-2 loss to the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park on April 23rd, allowed four runs in four to third innings, but he threw 43 of his 64 pitches for strikes. Sanchez in a 14-4 win at the San Francisco Giants on April 29th, three runs in five innings, he again threw strikes, 51 of 71 pitches for strikes. And then Sanchez in a 9-7 loss at the Colorado Rockies last Thursday, May 5th, seven runs, six earned in four and a third innings. But he actually threw strikes in that game, 56 strikes versus 28 balls over 84 pitches. Like I said, Sanchez reclamation project and Anson March signed him uh, to a minor league deal. This is only his age 29 season. Uh, he does throw strikes, okay? I mean, the run prevention isn't great, but uh, he is uh, pounding the zone. A uh, very good night for the Nats bullpen on Wednesday night. Three Nats relievers combined for three and two-thirds scoreless innings. Austin Voth tossed one and a third scoreless innings. Uh, Voth now is on a nice run. He has not allowed a run in each of his last seven appearances. Uh, Victor Rano tossed one and a third scoreless innings with two strikeouts. And Paolo Espino tossed a scoreless top of the ninth despite beginning it by giving up back-to-back -back singles. Game three for the Nats against the Mets at Nationals Park is on Thursday afternoon at 105. Joanna Doan versus Taiwan Walker.
Well, the Orioles' great run of starting pitching came to a screeching halt on Wednesday night. Doesn't mean that the O's now all of a sudden are a bad starting pitching team, but what we had on Wednesday night was what we have had many times <laughs> with Orioles starting pitching for years. Uh, the O's on Wednesday night got slammed. A 10-1 loss at the St. Louis Cardinals in Game 2 of a three-game series. The O's this season now are 13-18. and And Spencer Watkins got rocked on Wednesday night. Seven runs in three and two-thirds innings. He gave up eight hits, a homer, five doubles, and two singles. Yeah, five doubles. That is a sky-high number of doubles for a pitcher to give up in a game. Uh, Watkins issued two walks, recorded three strikeouts. He threw 81 pitches over his three and two-thirds innings. Uh, Second consecutive bad start for Watkins. He and the Orioles 5-3 5-3 win over the Minnesota Twins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Thursday night, allowed three runs in four and two-thirds innings. Now, Watkins, prior to that game, had been decent in each of his previous three starts, during which he allowed a combined four runs in 14 and two-thirds innings. Uh, the Orioles' offense on Wednesday night wasn't good either. Uh, the O's totaled just one run, just five hits, just one walk. Uh, the five hits were comprised of a double and four singles. Uh, the O's went over four with runners in scoring position. The Orioles' lone run scored on a Robinson Chirinos RBI double, uh, a rare extra base hit for Chirinos. Uh, you know, Chirinos has been the Orioles' number one catcher so far this season as we await the call up of the Phenom, the Orioles' number one prospect, Adley Rutschman. Uh, but Chirinos this season, even with that double on Wednesday night, is slugging a mere 194. Uh, that is horrendous. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, uh, he was scratched from the Orioles' lineup due to left wrist soreness. Uh, Not a good night for the O's. Uh, Game three for them at the Cardinals is on Thursday afternoon at 1.15. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 314, will be a special commander's schedule analysis show. Uh, The NFL on Thursday night will officially announce the 2022 regular season schedule. I say officially announced because A, already a bunch of games have been announced, and B, inevitably, NFL schedule release day features games being leaked like crazy during the day. And then by the time that the NFL officially announces the schedule, most of the schedule is already out there. But I'll get into what stands out with the Commander's 2022 regular season schedule. What we already know sets up to be as one of the easier schedules in the NFL. Uh, I also have some info on how much the Commanders will be traveling in the 2022 regular season that I think you'll find interesting. Uh, Also on Friday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles with each team having a Game 3 of a series on Thursday afternoon. Game 3 for the Nats against the New York Mets at Nationals Park will be on Thursday afternoon at 1.05. Game 3 for the O's at the St. Louis Cardinals will be on Thursday afternoon at 1.15. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Alrighty then. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. 
Littleton Coin Company, serving collectors since 1945.